Welcome to the Vongcast, the most heretical podcast about the New Jedi Order. I'm your host, Megan, and with me are my co-hosts, Rocky and Bria. This month, we'll be talking about the second half of Star by Star by Troy Denning, in which the war becomes an apocalypse, Anakin Solo becomes one with the Force, and Borsk Felaya captains his ship to the end. This is the book we all needed care packages for. I'm, I'm already not sure sad. we actually got the care that we need because we're all tired and sad now. But we're all tired, all- sad, sick, grumpy, and still in pain <laughs> from for reading reasons this. That are not all, but some are related to this novel. <laughs> star by star just made it worse. <laughs> yeah. Just to reiterate, there will be no spoilers for future books in the series, but we do go through today's book pretty thoroughly, so if you haven't read it yet, you can pause the recording, read the book, and then come back and join us. We've already read the blurb for Star by Star, so we'll be skipping that segment this week. We chose to read it in two parts, which I think was ultimately a good idea, because there's just so much to talk about. My experience of reading it in two parts was that the middle was a bit slow, with sort of these dragging parts punctuated by horrific uh, uh, set pieces. But there was like so much that happened toward the end. The uh, fall of Coruscant always strikes me as a surprise, no matter how much I know it's coming. And this book was just a mix of like a grueling slog and just emotional wreckage. <laughs> um, how did you two feel about the experience of reading it in halves? It was definitely a good idea because even though we love these books, we all know we don't read them until several days before, if that. <laughs> so I yes. can't imagine us trying to read this 600-page book in one sitting. It would have gone poorly. Um, but what I did notice is that because we split it at, what, the 300-ish page mark, there was yes. a lot of deaths very fast. Like, I got 100 pages in or so, and I'm like, there's already three Jedi gone in these these 100 pages. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I definitely noticed that because I read part one of Star by Star over the course of a few days, but I read this part two in one sitting on an airplane. I think I deserve a cookie or something for not crying on a plane, throwing a book across a plane, or anything else like that. You yes. do. You deserve a medal. And all um, my notes are very neat, considering the amount of turbulence that you can get while flying. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, it was an absolute emotional storm, especially as the whole strike team is not in the greatest of shape, but they have each other, so they're totally going to hold on. And suddenly, no, everything is no longer okay. And then the fall of Coruscant happens, and then by the end of the book, and particularly by the point of Leia's just keep fighting speech, by that point, I'm just like, do I really get a prize for not crying on a plane? I should. Yeah. Anakin's death caught me by surprise this time. Because... Yeah. I I guess because we split it in two, it comes about halfway halfway in the second section, and I, I got to the part where Tahiri's like, no, you have to come back to get a kiss. And I went, oh, no. Oh, no, I'm yeah. not ready for this. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. that that and then his death scene where he's kind of saying through the force to Jason, 
kiss Tahiri for me, and suddenly I was thinking of something that you should ask me about in the spoiler episode, and this time I'm actually going to write it down. (laughs) There's show notes for that, Rocky. (laughs) Oh, yeah. This half starts with the strike team basically up to their elbows in bugs. Um, Everyone is clearly has gone through disgusting things. They're casually incorporating Yusan Bong weaponry into their arsenal. I was very struck by the image of some of the Jedi just like slapping some Blorash jelly on stuff because it's what they had. And they they end up crawling through corpses. They end up eating, you know, the food that Yusan Bong have. That's just like this gruel. It is a claustrophobic grueling walk and it's complicated by the arrival of Lomi and Welk a self-described dark Jedi who end up uh, shattering even further some of the uh, bonds that have been stressed between the strike team members and eventually betraying them I thought the dark Jedi moniker sounded interestingly like old-fashioned in light of Vergera's actions and or the way the new canon handles non-Jedi Force users. Um, Dark Jedi haven't been as much of a thing in the new canon, or at least not by that name. There have been a lot of almost more the Vergera kind of we're not sure which side they're on uh, ideas not necessarily characters, but I feel like ideas. Did that strike either of you as a specifically old expanded universe kind of idea? Yes. To me, that really called back a lot to the Thrawn trilogy, in which that's often how Joros Sabaoth... Don't don't call me on that pronunciation. I just butchered that. But like how... Joros. Something like that. <laughs> But, like, the way he's referred to, which at that point kind of makes more sense that Luke might not have a lot of background on history of Dark Side Force users. By this point, it seems a little weird to me in retrospect. Because we know that Lamy Plo is a Night Sister, right? Shouldn't she be referred to as that? Like, at least that kind of struck me as being a bit odd because. A lot of how other dark side parties are identified is, again, something Ask Me About in the spoiler episode. There are so many moments while I was reading this book that I'm thinking, so much of this makes more sense with knowledge from outside of this series. Yeah. So I think part of it has to do with when this book was published. And actually, did we did we talk about last episode, this publication date? I don't think so. It was okay. in the notes. Yeah, okay. Um, I can't remember if we did or not, or we just talked about it on Twitter, but it came out in fall 2001, uh, which is very early on. That's significant for other reasons, which I hopefully we're not repeating ourselves here, but uh, because it came out relatively close to uh, The Phantom Menace, the vocabulary just wasn't there. For the most part, in the old Expanded Universe, Sith I don't think we even used the word Sith until after Phantom Menace came out, or at least closer to it. So we always, Dark Jedi was just the term for it. Um, and I agree with Rocky about how previous series were were definitely important, because for me, what stood out was the Young Jedi Knight series. 
the Shadow Academy stuff, everything that Zek went through, um, all of it. Just I was like, I feel like these books had so much more meaning if you had read that series before. Yes. So one of the things that I liked the most about this section was the Jurassic Park style setting with the Voxen nests and the bioengineered landscape. The strike team finds themselves working through areas that look like Coruscant, that look like forests, that are places that the Yusan Bong made specifically to try to train against the Jedi and against you know people from out this galaxy our galaxy i always say it like it's next door (laughs) so i just wanted to bring this up because i think it's really great and i'd love to see it in a movie sometime it's felt so jurassic park to me the voxen are like just sitting on their nests they just like look around and they ruffle their neck scales and i'm just like it's really cute and they're also vicious and terrible but it's kind of cute no (laughs) it is it's disturbing because these things are horrifying monsters but they're also they just want to protect their nests and i'm just really into this idea of a structure sort of like a labyrinth you know that it's that idea of that the myth of the labyrinth where you go into this uh, place that has been built specifically to be confusing and you have only a very specific way to get out it's like playing a game and but yet it's also real and there's a monster at the center and that's just i just wanted to say that like i appreciate that a lot and that's something that's like one of my favorite things about this book is the weird constructed maze of it so within that um the strike team does have a lot of tension still and anakin solo in particular keeps thinking that people don't really want to help him he's very badly wounded. There's some very gross descriptions of an amphistaff stabbing him. Uh, Techley's been trying to heal him. Um, but he keeps thinking that people are pushing him away when really they just don't want him to be in danger. This struck me as like a particularly teenage way of him kind of making his problem about his ego, which not that I don't like, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. I feel for that, but it felt like a very kind of almost an immature misunderstanding that did make me like my heart goes out to him because I want him to protect himself. And he is very tied into the idea of he wants to be a hero and he does not protect himself. And uh, he's, you know, all the more heroic for it. But did this strike either of you as a particularly teenage, uh, I like mindset or not? This is why we don't he's put so 17 young. year olds in charge of suicide missions. <laughs> Like Yes, I, he is such a tiny child. It kills me because a lot of the problem comes with the whole Anakin and Jason bashing heads thing that we got all the way back in Vector Prime. And they never really completely worked their way through it. And then it rears its ugly head here and it takes till like Anakin's almost is like severely wounded for them to work their crap out. And you're just like, great maybe if you had done this beforehand this would have helped or maybe if you hadn't sent every single like solo child on this mission which related to that i really loved the bit in uh i think when they're evacuating from the ship where someone points out that they they split up families (laughs) 
And I'm like, oh, oh now you yes. do that. Thanks, guys. Wow. Yeah. Leia is like... Or how how many times, like, Leia yeah. mentions at some point that we don't put families in the same unit for a reason, and yet my kids are running off together on the same suicide so mission. And Barabelle's like, come on. <laughs> And then Anakin... That was actually a pretty painful yeah. one. Yeah. So Anakin and Jason end up having these, like... Their conversations are more open. Their conversations are more accepting than before. But they're having them, like, like while Anakin is in the middle of surgery without any painkillers. Like, the they go through this stuff, but they go through it, or they work through some of it, by talking about it in the most horrific possible situations. And it's just... It's very sad. I I knew Anakin's death was coming. I knew there's this beautiful description of it where he glows golden because all of his cells are... The energy is just rupturing out of them. And it's so... I, I every time I read this, I think, and now it's not as shocking anymore because I know what's coming. But um, and the like, Tahiri's kind of final words to him are very like, you know, something is going to happen. But it just makes me think God of the first time it. that I read this and this, like how heroic he is. And uh, there's okay, I, I there's a lot for us to talk about here. So. I don't want to get into like the way his family grieves yet, um, but I want to be able to talk about Anakin's death himself. Is there anything else that you two want to add about emotions, feelings, the experience of reading it multiple times? Dead heroes are still dead. I'm still not okay no matter how many times I read this book. The first time I read it, I was spoiled. I knew what was going to happen, and I was a mess. Every single other time I've read this book, I still was a mess. I think it's gotten worse for me <sighs> because when I first... Yes! The older I've it. gotten. Like, it's, it's the older I've gotten. And when I first read these books, I didn't have as much of an emotional attachment to Anakin as I did the twins. Um, I don't think I read the Junior Jedi Knight books before I picked up these. Or if I had, like, I didn't read them very much. So I was like, kind of like, okay, he's the other solo kid. And I think the last couple of rereads I've done of this have really driven home. Like, he's such a good boy. And he did his best. And oh, don't kiss Tahiri for him, Jason. You should have done that yeah. yourself. God <laughs> damn it, Tahiri. Oh. I was... I was definitely concentrating a little bit more on the reactions of other characters this time around. It did, like, I, I have put up some walls against the shock, so it didn't bother me as much this time. But um, what kind of did strike me was just, the, it's such a vivid image. And when I was looking up a, an answer to a question that we will discuss later in the episode, I was on the Wikipedia page for Anakin, and it says that Troy Denning mentioned that it took him seven drafts to write this scene. And I think he landed on a good one. It's one that feels natural and one that is very, very memorable. And I am curious what the other seven were. But this was, I'm sure, a very hard thing to write, and I think it was done well. Yeah, I agree. 
I think also part of the, part of the reason I think it caught me by surprise this time was I had it in my brain that he died taking out the queen, and that's not the case. Mm. Yeah, I did too. Like it was completely solidly in my brain that Anakin had died killing the Voxen Queen, and when that wasn't what happened. I just went, wait, well, it's what? Yeah. It's what heroes- and then I remembered why they brought Jason well, the along. Is, it's what heroes <laughs> do. Like, you expect that the hero's going to die, their heroic death is going to be saving the day. And he saves, you know, he, he's able to save some people, but it's not the big, crazy, the, the ending battle. And I think that that's what you time. Yeah. Yep. And then Jason fighting the Vox and Queen is also not, that traditional hero victory because the whole time he doesn't want to do it he is like projecting into the boxing's mind that like he's he's mentions that he wants to kill it but subconsciously he doesn't want to harm an animal but the whole time he like he's like i have to you know because mm-hmm. this is killing her is way more like the value of her uh, compared to the value of the many many jedi that have died from the boxing is there's no question there but she can still feel in the force that he doesn't really want to do it um that was really like oof that's hard because jason is has such a soft heart in a way he does but also what's a one two three four five six six different jedi died yeah to do this like get over your feelings jason and just do what you need to do and he does pretty he does. much when he fights the queen. That that goes nicely, I think, into the reactions from other characters, which this is like the one the mm-hmm. thing that tore me up was Leia's reaction. Oh god. Because like Luke very much like holds it together and Luke is like because Mara cautions Luke and says, You can't like feel this emotion. You can't let this anger and this pain out because Ben Skywalker will feel it. And so Luke like holds it in. But then uh Leia just is just a wreck and Leia's reaction was so painful to me and then the twins have I I was struck by what uh, Denning did with their mental states about this because Jaina starts to edge toward the dark side and Jason who of course is always the the one who kind of overthinks things feels like he should be grieving more obviously like Jaina is I think maybe he's in shock in part of this. And he, for me, it made me wonder, like, his reaction is muted compared to Jaina's, and he knows it. And it made me wonder, kind of, what's the difference between being calm and being cold? Or is that all a distraction? And he only focuses on this because he's thinking about this instead of feeling overwhelming grief. Jaina's reaction made so much sense to me in my first couple reads of this book. And now in, I think this is round three, cover to cover, reading this book, both of their reactions make a lot of sense. And it feels a lot like, on Jason's part, it feels more so like a kind of single-minded, must-finish-the-mission-then deal with the emotions of it. It feels a lot like a coping mechanism, as well as just how Jason's personality works. But it also kind of felt to me in this version that Jane has been kind of inching towards the dark side for a little while. She has a lot of unresolved issues about losing her wingmate Annie, about trying to deal with 
being a young soldier, having her whole world falling apart around her. She has a lot of baggage that she hasn't had or needed to resolve yet or like had the time to really sit down and deal with. And now it's just kind of all exploded. And well, what do you expect when you have someone highly force sensitive, a lot of emotions, kind of angry? Yeah, of course, that's going to go towards the dark side. I thought it also just read very true that how different people have different reactions. Um, It's it's a very natural, I don't want to say natural reaction, but I can't think of other words because English. Uh, It's a very natural reaction towards death that people people view it differently. Um, And I think it also comes into play that Jane is the oldest. Like yeah, her and Jason are twins, but she's she's the oldest of the solo kids. Anakin's the baby. She's been the one who's kind of had to to mediate or at least like keep the peace between her brothers. Um, and she's had a bit of a caretaker's not the right word, but she's almost had a bit of a leadership position amongst the kids and trying to be the adult. Oh, and yeah. now he's dead <laughs> like how do you i i i always yeah. feel like jana's reaction would be what mine is like if i had a little brother and we were on a suicide mission and my little brother died just to buy us time hell yeah i would be 100 percent like we're gonna make him pay like i would i would be ready to like mm-hmm. bite yeah. zach's yeah. head off too <laughs> Yeah. And like, also, I think that by this point in the reread, like we all first read this series at similar ages. And by now being older and having dealt with more life and having seen more of how people react and how people react to death, it's I've seen both a more Jaina style and a more Jason style reaction. It's just so personal and situational. It makes so much sense for both of them. And like when I first read this, I wasn't really sure what to make of it. Other than, whoa, Force Lightning, that's actually kind of (laughs) cool. But like in retrospect, now it's like it makes perfect sense how everyone reacts to it. Yeah, I definitely think that Jaina is... I would have a similar reaction. I can think of, you know, instances in which... I felt anger first and then grief afterward. And I can definitely like see where she's coming from here. The part that also hurt so much was when at the end of the book, when she consciously leaves, she knows he's still alive, but she leaves because she thinks that's the best thing to do for the team. And it's knowing what's coming and knowing what kind of choices Han and Chewie and Anakin have all had to make. That really struck me a lot. Yeah. Poor Jaina. She always gets the short end of the stick. Like, I love that girl so much. And I just want to protect her from the world and also support her anger. That's what I want to do. I want to take her to one of those places that you can, like, throw plates at a wall (laughs) and just get your feelings out and then be like... She needs that. She really needs that. And she probably needs a hug, but she would well, never Well, that's why you take it. her to she the was... plate throwing, let her get out her anger, and then she'll be sad and you give her a hug and you make her a nice cup of tea. Wow, I sound like a grandma. Makes sense. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> she was always the mediator between her brothers. And now I think sort of a valve has opened and she cannot mediate anymore. And then all that anger is coming out. And like, 
it is kind of cool. You know, she just becomes the dark side's kind of cool sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Are we talking about Leia, the, the parrots too now, or no? Are we holding off? Yes, yes. I don't have too much more to add about Leia, except that the fact that she immediately goes to Ben Skywalker and like hugs him and is like, my baby is dead, but I have this one. And Han kind of has to like almost stop her from smothering him is I I almost like this scene was in Han's point of view. I kind of would have loved to see it from Leia's point of view because Leia has lost so much too. Leia lost Alderaan. Leia was so composed in the face of losing Alderaan, but this is too much. And this is a situation in which she doesn't have to hide her grief. I think she knows Han will pick up the signals that she's giving off and will understand what she's going through and the way she reacts is just like try to clutch Ben as close to her as she can and that was especially as I said before in contrast to Luke's reaction uh, Leia's reaction I I found to be very moving yeah I mean Leia had to go I don't want to say she had it worse than but she kind of did like it's Anakin's her son not Luke's so I feel, I, of course, that's going to hit her even harder. And then mm-hmm. she felt it through Absolutely. the force. like, And that's not something Han had to do. And so I thought it was just fascinating that this is this is what makes Leia shut down. Um, because there's points where she just, she just doesn't respond. So and it read very true to me. And this is actually the part that made me tear up when I was reading through, when I was reading through it. Yeah. Um, and then you contrast that with Han and I like how they sort of had to switch roles as opposed to when Chewie died because Han's the one who just couldn't function then. Um, and obviously Leia gets over it a lot faster, but I thought it was it was very telling that there's a line where she at, where she basically calls him out like, well, how come Chewie's death affected you more than Anakin's? And he's like, because I realized that I can't do that. And I thought that was really nice character development for him even though i don't like the agents of chaos books very much you know you see how he how he moves past it and he sees that the way he handled his grief wasn't the best thing to do and now he knows better and this already another how oh, good god english i cannot form sentences tonight i am so sorry everyone um but he figures out how to handle it in a really horrific situation so soon later Yeah. Um, Bria, you made a note here about the contrast between with Han and his reaction to Chewie's mm-hmm. death. And I think you touched on that a little bit in what you were just saying. Yeah. But I also noticed that um, this book also, like, not that Anakin's death helped Han realize what he'd been going through with Chewie's death, but this book also contains what I think is some really great Han and Leia stuff. And I'm not like, I don't like actively ship them. I'm not predisposed to be like, oh, Han and Leia. But I had a lot of, oh, Han and Leia feelings in this book because yes. the, the scene where they're like hiding in the asteroid and Han refers to the co-pilot seat as Leia's seat. And then later he refuses to let Luke sit there because he and Leia have been sitting there in this asteroid holding hands for like an hour, knowing that their son is dead. And the way it brought them together just really made me 
feel things, Aww. you know? Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. I definitely had some of that because they were such a cute couple throughout this book. And it was absolutely heartbreaking because of how they were brought together again in this book and just the way that the way that people around them react as well. And when Phalia calls being like, uh, hi, can I have some political help? Oh yeah. Sorry about your son. If it were possible for Han to like reach through the comm link and punch Phalia, I'm pretty sure yeah. it would have happened. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm glad we did not start a counter for a number of times that Phalia does. That's what I thought we originally <laughs> were counting. <laughs> but then I got confused. We, we will talk about more of that later. Everyone's for sure. <laughs> Everyone's <Ugh. laughs> My gosh, this, I don't know. I just had like a revelation though. Like, because talking about Han and Leia kind of made me realize that one of the reasons that that scene with the chair affects me so much is because it like, reminds me of being a little kid when you were sitting in the back of the car and your parents would always sit in the front and like I don't know my parents each had their own car so like you knew who was going to drive when and it was it must have been something that just like stuck in my head as a kid because I have like very specific memories about that and I just mm -hmm. kind of realized that that's what this scene is to me it reminds me so much of my own family and I just didn't realize that before so I've learned something about myself. That just that just clicked really well in my head too because my parents were the same yeah. way. Right down to them squabbling about who moved my seat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whenever one would take the other's car. <laughs> yeah, I think it becomes a very like uh an intimate space kind of in that like you do like set up your own car the way like a car is a very private space in a way and you set it up like a certain mm -hmm. way and if that gets messed up there's kind of like a rift in the family in a small way or in this book in a very large way. So yeah, this has been and more Voncast yeah. therapy. <laughs> That's the entire episode. <laughs> let's be real. <laughs> this is entire podcast. Yes, this, this episode is kind of the support group for having survived reading the yeah. book in the first place. And we're all tired. Let's talk about, the things we realize about our childhoods and why this book affected us so much. So there's no good transition for that. So is there any? No. <laughs> is there anything else we want to add about Jaina before we move on? Just that I love her. I understand good. Jaina so much and I desperately want to hug her and also the level I over identified with her, especially as an angry younger teenager. Sometimes I wonder how I turned out so halfway yeah. normal. Also, it bothers me a lot in retrospect how normal Jaina seems to end up far, far Spoilers. in the future. <laughs> Adding that to my list of things to talk about in the spoiler yeah, episode. I just, I'll just say that I'm going to be very, very happy when we get to Dark Journey in January. Because that is the ultimate Jaina Solo is yes. angry and you're all going to know it book. And I love it. Um, yeah. Not about Jaina, but I do want to contrast uh, to Tenel Ka in this book because I noticed when I was reading through the second half that she is the one who has to be the rock for the solo kids. Um, like, yeah. she's basically just like being like, Jaina, are you? No, you're not going to do this. And she's the one who has to knock some sense into Jason. And I'm like, girl, and she's the only one who's not, she's the only one who keeps it together. 
Uh, I feel like half of the, actually almost the entirety of the strike team at one point or another loses it, except for like Ganner and Tenelkov. Yeah. The Barabels are okay, but arguably they've kind of already lost it. Yes. Yes. And I feel like, yeah. Uh, two of them They've have really lost yeah. it. Uh, if two of the three have been lost, yeah. then I really don't think they count as quite okay any yeah. longer. Yeah, no, I just I liked the contrast, and I liked I liked seeing how she was the one keeping it together and being the voice of reason. Then you contrasted her even with with Zach, who was another one of their old friends who was trying to beat Jane over the head a little bit too hard with don't go to the dark side today. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, I, I love Tenelka a lot. Also more in that, in Dark Journey. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I Yes, yes. I love Tenelka so much after this book, and I don't know how she ever possibly manages to stay so normal and keep it so together at a time when literally anybody would be excused for completely losing it. She's also gone through so much herself. Like, she's already lost her arm. Like, she grew up on Dathomir, right? Yeah, so, and Hapes. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> and then there's Raynar. Yeah, so... Oh, dear. Um, Bria, you're going to be our Raynar expert. Oh, damn it. <laughs> what would you like to point out about this boy? <laughs> There's a lot of things I don't want to point out, but um so I I'm glad that it's I'm glad we didn't lose Loey because he's a good wookie and doesn't deserve to be captured by dark Jedi. Uh but we kind of were talking before the podcast started about how we wanted to handle the Raynar situation because he's not there and he's missing in action. But he's not dead, and we just... Oh. He doesn't have a nice future. Ask us more about this no, in December. I'll just say it now. Maybe. We're not going to see Raynar again in the New Jedi Order, but we will see him in the trilogy that happens after this book, and I'm just going to... This is why I call him King of the Bugs. And honestly, <laughs> I kind of wish he had died here instead. <laughs> Oof, a fate worse Much than my- death. <laughs> yeah. Jedi bug sex, Megan. Yeah. That's what awaits all of them. Where's my brain bleach? I know. It doesn't await me because I'm not going to read it. Oh, oh, no, no, no. Wait till we're Uh, done this. I'll do some dramatic recreations from what I remember of the books for you guys because I can't say what it is. Are you sure? Do do, do you have to? Yes, because if I have to suffer, we all have to suffer. Okay. All right. Um, well, I don't know if I have enough alcohol to survive. I only this, got to the Joiner King last time because of tequila. Why don't we skip ahead and talk about the safe part while we're doing Vongcast after okay. dark? Okay. Speaking <laughs> of, I wasn't gonna put this in, and then you did. It wasn't and me. So I'm gonna talk about it because I read that, and it was the most horrifying. I, I read that scene several times over, and I'm going, wait a minute. Wait a minute. So, for context, <laughs> this is something that I vividly remembered with a mix of shock and curiosity, because it is Safe walks in, Safe who was mentioned a couple times as like an attendant, she's an assistant, she keeps track of Phillips. Um, and also there's some kind of like communicate, like, like she's, she's skilled, she like, 
is a coordinator, um, but she's his assistant. And she walks in on him while he is naked, and she is not allowed to see him naked unless they are breeding. Uh-huh. So instead of killing her, she's like, okay, we have to sleep together now because the other option is that I kill you. And she's like, she basically is like, I will begin the ritual preparations in an extremely robotic fashion. And then it's horrifying and very non-sexy. In fact, I think it is. It's bad. It's such a good turn off. It's so bad. bad. He uh, has maggots in his arm on the mean in the meantime. And I I'm just so baffled by this. And then Shimra calls him out on it. Like, that's the part that kills me. Yes, and Shimra's like But Shimra's also like, like she will be useful. Use her well is the exact phrasing. It's so yeah, bad. Like it's so like the bad. way Shimra's Shimra's going. Like, look, I know that you had me on hold because you were having the least sexy sex imaginable. Good job, you. <laughs> and it's so so disturbing and creepy. And uh also, it makes me wonder. Wait a minute. How does Shimra know? No way. Do I want that answer? Well, no, it's because I, I, would... I think he just uses context clues. Because he has yeah. to. Yeah, there's, he says, there's right. like a fade to black in there. Yeah. I like. But, so here's the thing is like. I didn't even. No, wait. See, I didn't pick up there being the, the fade to black because she she leaves and is like. Okay, I'll no, go like wait. Afterward. Oh, okay, after. And I'm like, wait yeah. a minute. I think it Yeah. No, I think Seif leaves and then and says, I will make my preparations, and then she recalls, and then it's implied that Savang Law goes to Yeah. Seif. Because he said That's how yeah, I read it anyway. He goes, Supreme One, forgive the delay I was cleansing, because he knows about that. So I guess he must know that involves being naked with maggots on your arm. And then there was a villa attendant. Well, always maggots. I mean, Sometimes. But then also he knows like there's a villa attendant. So context clues. I. This is really not how I thought this episode I, was going to go. Or, no. I, either I that or like the villa equivalent of like spyware. Oh god. Okay. So here's the thing. Okay. This is just getting more and more disturbing. Can we just the more go to Rocky, think of it? you uh. have to stop. <laughs> um, Please make also, me stop. Um, I think that. <laughs> we have to go. We have to leave. No, so I think that um, there could be a kind of revisionist reading of this, but it would be too much work for me to do it. And like, because this could be Seif's story in a way. This could be like Seif is or is not into this. Does or is not does not have an emotional connection to Savangla and like makes a decision based on that. That never happens in this book. Like you never, and as far as I know, whatever, it doesn't happen in this book. So, and like you never see her point of view. She's always like very ritualistic and calm about it. There's like some other alternate universe where this mattered. And I think like ideally, I would have preferred it not being here at all, but the fact that it doesn't seem to matter to Seif is also, like, 
the weirder part, the weirdest part to me. And she could have her a whole story that she, that isn't in here, you know? Oh, God. So, yeah, I didn't necessarily want to bring that up because I don't really think that it's appropriate to... Too late now. Uh, yeah, I, it's, it's bad. It's bad. This entire book but, is... Um, this entire book fine. is very difficult to yeah. summarize while staying within PG-13. Yeah. You know what? It's fine. Um, they talk about sex in PG-13 hand, movies. Here, would you like me to do a crazy segue? I could do that. Well, I, I have another thing, though, because it's, it's something that... Let's hold that thought, because now I'm curious. But, like, so it's something that I think that, I don't know, as... Maybe if I was a guy, I wouldn't notice it as much. But as a woman, I'm like, this is a like female Yusan Bong character. I'm instantly primed to be interested. And then this happens, you know? Yeah. Okay. So all right. I do have one serious yeah. comment before we go. Is that well, two actually. One is that I noticed he only uses one name for her, which she must have another name though, like because there's that they make such a big deal about how him calling Vicky Sesh's Vicky is a sign of disrespect. Which, mm, and she's yeah. not a shamed one. Yeah, and she's not incompetent. So that that was intriguing to me. And number two, um, again, I said I I can't remember if we talked about this in the last episode or not, but this book came out like two months after nine eleven happened, uh, in which you have. Coruscant falling and you have these outsiders these invaders who are different and who seem to have some real interesting views of women in here and I'm like this is really unfortunate and awkward and doubly awkward even though I know it wasn't intentional like there's no way in hell this could have been intentional and I'm just I, I just cringe at it yes definitely there are there are definitely like a lot of things about this series that give me a very pre 9-11 vibe just the usage of infidel a lot of how the yuzhan are depicted a lot of that is just like nowadays basically anyone who reads this just goes this does not sit quite well with me yeah <laughs> uh, you know it does sit well with me mm. though all the race squadron references. Those are great. <laughs> <laughs> they make me Good. happy. I like it when yeah. like Luke's like, yeah, I heard Face Lord was like really, really pissed off because he couldn't keep chasing after the, the ship with the Jedi kids on it. And I'm like, Face, you're such a good boy. Yeah. So now I want to know what the weird transition that you were, you were going to make That was it. There was. you go. <laughs> oh, okay. I was transitioning. No, that wasn't too weird. No, because I made Okay, it. that's good. That's I was good. just going to violently segue, and I violently segued. <laughs> You're welcome. I uh, I really liked the space battles at the end of this book. They were just very like cinematic and spectacular in the sense of being spectacle, and I liked that about them. Yeah, there's like that part where they're um, where Wedge tells Luke and everyone to wait, and then there's something with like the two capital ships and the lightning going back and forth between them. That was really cool. The descriptions of color were very beautiful of the different, you know, things pinging off of shields and different layers of shields. And sometimes I was confused about what's going on. I'm still not entirely sure what Lando's plan was, but it was very beautiful. 
It had style. Oh, yes. <laughs> so uh, I think we'll talk about the Battle of Coruscant at the end, but I also want to touch on um, the death of the Boxing Queen. If anyone has any more to say about that, I found, you know, I talked about it earlier, but it was also a very um, sort of an exciting action scene. There's so much going on. I'd forgotten how much Verger was involved with that scene because mm. oh, she yes. has. She joins the Jedi, and she has this great bit where they're, like, overlooking the area she's in, and she's practicing with a lightsaber. And then when, I think it's Jaina, kind of comes closer to her, and she immediately, like, fumbles the lightsaber. And to me, that was her trying to pretend that she didn't know what she was doing when actually she does. And I thought that was a cool touch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The other thing I really liked about about the whole Vox and Queen scene, uh, and I think you talked about this earlier, Megan, was it it brought into play Jason's connection with animals. I think this is actually something that Troy Denning did very well with this book overall. Is that he took he took uh, character traits, he took connections from across the entire well, what was then the entire expanded universe, and brought them into play here, um, like. I think I said before, this book couldn't be what it was without the young Jedi Knights being there. Like he references characters that you've met, like from all the different series. Uh, and yeah, I still can't form sentences. I don't know what's wrong with me. It's all right. How many times have I said that now? Three. Oh god. <laughs> But yeah, no, like the the whole so, the whole animal connection thing. I'm really glad they brought that in here. Oh yes, yeah. The very way that Jason's reached out to the Voxen again and again, even turning them on the Yuzhambong, his yes. connection to them, and I feel like in a way they've gotten their victory at least partially because Jason is so darn good at animals, and by the time that the Voxen Queen is dead. Just Verger's line, you've won your battle, now you pay, is all the more disturbing. Like, every time I've read this book, mm-hmm. that line is even more creepy and ominous. Mm-hmm. I, I, of course, almost feel bad for the Voxen. Like, can't you just let them go on a world that doesn't have any sentient beings on it and just let them live their Voxen lives? Nope. But no, no, they're just here to eat everyone and scream. <laughs> Which, we all have those days, I think, where we just want to eat everything and scream, right? I mean, that's yes. been like the last couple days of my life, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I try not to spit venom at yeah. people, but you know, it happens. It depends we on try, who you but sometimes... ask about how good I am at not doing that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Plausible deniability. Sometimes you just gotta like use your acid claws. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that brings us to the fall of Coruscant, which, as we mentioned earlier, is very evocative and very disturbing this definitely i always kind of forget that this book ends with that cliffhanger and ends with luke and luke han leia and mara basically realizing that the new republic cannot win Mm -hmm. and it is so apocalyptic it's a world that has gone from two relatively evenly matched armies to a world that is actively hostile to humans and it's just very rough. The the 
images here of uh, there was one part where Luke pulls an X-Wing out of a lake and it, of course, mirrors the scene in The Empire Strikes Back, but instead of a little lake on Dagobah, it is a giant lake on Coruscant, and meanwhile, coral skippers are coming down and gun emplacements are shooting them out of the sky and Mara has broken her ankle and Luke is you know, getting capturing retrieving the X-Wing that was shot down and it just seemed like such a good parallel to me and a way to show like how the scope of this war is so much huger than anything else because Coruscant especially in the expanded universe era was everything, you know, it was the shining beacon of the New Republic even before and the the movies actually showed it, you know, showing it in Phantom Menace was a huge deal because it had been invented for the books. And it was always, that's where Han and Leia live. It's where the most powerful people are. That's the center of the galactic economy. And here it just, it's devastated, you know? Yeah. It's, it's such a painful thing to read, <laughs> seeing this planet. Like, they're seeing the New Republic, everything they've worked for, come apart in front of them. And they're not fighting back with the sense of we can stop this. They're fighting back with the idea of how long can we hold how long can we hold this off to try to get the most amount of people off planet. They know they're fighting a pointless losing battle and it's the way it's described, you can see the description, the imagery, it's so vivid and I think that makes it hurt all the more to realize that this really is the end of the world as everyone knows it and who knows how we're going to go on from here or if we will. It's so well done and so painful. I don't have anything else I can possibly add that you guys didn't already cover except that I think because we've had so many books before it and we've seen we've seen the descent downwards and how this is an enemy that they're not they're not entirely equip, equipped to deal with but there was still always that glimmer of hope and with Coruscant being taken it and you know at least one of the solo kids being killed it feels like that hope has been squashed and i think that makes it hurt even more yeah meanwhile and- vicky shesh has fully accepted her role as traitor and she, among all the chaos of people trying to escape, she has found a boy who looks exactly like Anakin. She has, he has had his face reconstructed to look exactly like Anakin, specifically in order to distract Leia enough to, uh, for Vicky to, she's trying to kidnap Ben Skywalker. I have questions. And... Okay, yes. first of all, does she has she just had this kid sitting around? Because I feel like you can't, even in the galaxy far, far away, you can't just like decide two hours before to facially to do the kid facial reconstruction and have him like <laughs> look fine and not be noticeably scarred. Like, how long has she been planning this? And how many out I don't probably know. longer than we really want to think about. And how many like random old lady outfits does she have like hiding in her closet? I just want to be like what the hell, Biggie? Some of her well, efforts to sneak has, into the apartment yeah. <laughs> were pretty comedic. I could kind of hear the like Pink Panther music, you know? Yeah. Yes, yes. Like when she's with a whole squad full of Yuzhambong and like, yeah, uh, hi, we're the janitors. Wow. <laughs> we all look the same. <laughs> oh my god. 
and some this of it normal yeah some of it is just like okay so we are in the bad comedy version of plots and planning i would just like to say that carice lady carice would never do this <laughs> she would not be Agreed. this lowbrow gosh vicky <laughs> I think Carice is what Vicky wants to be if she grows up. It's true. All of it. (laughs) But yeah. They even kind of hang a lampshade on the fact that she should know that it's hard to kidnap someone out of the solo apartment because the solo kids got kidnapped so many times when they were children. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's like, well, solo kids have been kidnapped. Must be Tuesday. Doesn't Mara actually build fun at that as a result? Yeah, and I know the solo kids themselves have teased about it a few times because how else do you deal with that? With uh, trauma, apparently. And therapy, maybe. Oh, oh right. I don't... What's I, that? You know... <laughs> they have that in the galaxy far, That's far away. That's a very good point. Ugh. But, yeah, I had totally forgotten about Dab. Or Tark, or whatever his name is. Like, I, I had forgotten, and then I think that made it punch me in the gut even more as soon as I went, Oh, no. <laughs> Yeah, and also the description of the Solo family evacuating. Yeah, there are tons of people evacuating, but who else is going to have no green hauling around their luggage and they've got a droid and they've got some random potted plant walking along with them? Like, come on, guys. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Like, how much more conspicuous can you be? They could, she could wave around her lightsaber. (laughs) That would be it. Eh, true. This seemed to me to be in contrast to Solo, the movie, which I realize is connecting, you know, apples and oranges because not only were they not out at the same time, they aren't even in the same plot line now, but it just the contrast of Han and Kira at the like the customs booth pushing through crowds and then Han and Leia, you know, Han was trying to leave to find his fortune and now he's trying to leave because his entire planet is being destroyed, it really struck me as like, these aren't in the same timeline at all, but I'm kind of going to pretend they are for a minute because I just want to see the Tumblr gift set that parallels them because I'll be really sad about it. Yes, internet, this is a hint. Someone better at creating Tumblr gifts. We're listening. (laughs) As usual, I always want to see these books as in movie form. So I just pretend that I know what the gifts would look like. (laughs) Oh, man. They'd be traumatic. So, on the polar opposite side from Vicky becoming increasingly comedically evil, on the other side is Borsk Felaya, who has gone from being a kind of annoying, uh, you know, hurdle for the Jedi to jump over, mostly looking after himself, to sacrificing himself for as much of Coruscant as he can save, uh, realizing that he's been ineffective and that, and going out with just this blaze of glory and dignity. And I was just so struck by the fact that he like gets a glass of whiskey and he's just like drinking in front of the Yuzhan Vong. And like, that's pretty, uh, that's pretty cool. It was, it was a good send off. I remember, not going to do any, not going to say specifics, but I had confused his death and Vicky's death. So I didn't remember where the scene was going. So to, it was almost a shock to me to see like how he dies and how 
brutal the Yusunbong are and how they must know. I think they might know something's up and they decide to kill him anyway and like then sacrifice themselves, which is what Yusunbong do. So this scene uh, really worked for me. It was shocking. I'm going to die mad about it. Like, how dare they give Boris Kvela the actual worst, one of the best deaths in these books? I'm so bad about it. It's, it's so fitting for these books to give someone who usually deserves, like, a slap in the face, instead giving him a beautiful, dignified death. The images that I have where they all storm into his office and he's chilling out there with his glass of ultra, ultra fancy booze and just like, hi, no, I'm only talking to your commander. Yes, you can keep stabbing me. No, really, I'm only talking to your commander. It is such an epic, incredible death scene. And yes, I'm somewhat mad, but this is Phalia who's really good at somehow managing to win here and there even if he's also made a fool of himself and is also often a complete idiot i mean of course he's gonna go out with a bang i would expect no less i mean of him. yeah it's amazing is that too soon but also <laughs> i can't believe i just can't believe he gets this like it's it's great but also it's no fair but it's so failure yes <laughs> Oh, man. He redeems himself so many times in my eyes in this book. For all that he's a total pest and does deserve a few punches here and there, he does have such a great death. I think it helped that I always saw him sort of as an uh, a symbol of the Republic who never actually succeeded in being a symbol of the Republic. Like, he was the foil the Jedi needed to fight against, except when he wasn't because he was a coward or because he had those moments of standing up to the Yusan Vong, like that moment in the Senate chamber itself. And that so was pretty good. Seeing him here. Yeah. Um, and I, I didn't, oh, so yeah. I didn't have as much of like a personal, like take on him, I guess. But I also, it's interesting that he knows he's a coward because he's still cowardly in a way here. He's going down with the ship like a captain should, but he's also not, helping you know he's save he's taking out this one chunk um leia has uh, her own view of, like what cowardice is she sees a lot of senators fleeing and thinks that they're cowards and then borsk thinks he's a coward for staying and ends up buying a little bit of time so i think the idea of what what actually constitutes bravery in an unwinnable situation is interesting here especially what we've seen before in terms of like how the jedi think about politicians and how politicians are portrayed and how they what they think of the jedi i mean it's both though like yes yeah there's a difference in the moment but also bothans tend to be very interested and concerned about reputation and there is nothing he could have done to better secure his his legacy as being a, a leader and a hero, you know, who ultimately lost Coruscant, but he goes out like a bamf. And I think he knew what he was doing the, when he did that. Yeah. Yeah. I think he specifically planned it because that is going to go down in, 
in history, in universe, everyone's going to remember, well, yes, this was the guy who lost the New Republic and lost Coruscant, but look, look what he did. He took out how many of them with him and made a very showy death? Yeah, he's going to get a lot of reputation brownie points for that, and it's going to go with Yeah, and it's better way. than anything he could have possibly gotten otherwise, because... There's yes. when, when you're still alive and you and you're the one who lost Coruscant, you're you're in such a deep hole. It's almost impossible to dig your way out of it. And I think he knew that. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. So um, I think that's all that I want to say about that about the fall of Coruscant. We're going to get plenty more of that in the future. Um, the book does end kind of with Luke's assertion that it is now the time for the Jedi, not the New Republic, to save the galaxy. That the Jedi have unequivocally become the ones who have to do it, and that kind of leads us into the second half of the series. And so, congratulations on getting this far. Yeah, <laughs> I mean. <laughs> About the book as a whole, I just want to say, this book should not have worked. Like, there are so many things about this no. book that could have and should have gone wrong. And somehow, Troy Denning, regardless of what I think of what he does later, was a new to Star Wars author and pulls out this beautiful, beautiful book of pain and suffering and... It's just so good. Like, it's held up as a gold standard by a lot of post-Return of the Jedi Legend fans for a reason. (laughs) And I just, oh. Yeah, I agree that, you know, Troy Denning has done a lot of good and a lot of bad things. I think Um, his writing is a constant (laughs) surprise. But um, Megan, that's the shadiest thing I've ever heard you say. It was beautiful. That is, I feel that Phaleo would be very proud of that statement. Oh my god. (laughs) That's a compliment. It's a compliment for me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. Um, I mean, I just, you can't not think about the whole creepy Leia thing, which was a crime. So, but this book I'm not going to think about creepy Leia. At all. No. Now you have to. But the mention of, like, it took seven drafts to do that one part, like, of course it did, because it seemed so simple. But, so, of course, it took seven drafts. Like, this was a 600-page book. This was a big accomplishment. You know, it was 18 years ago or whatever. But we're still talking about it for a reason. It's definitely still, like, holds up as one of the, like, it is an event, you know? (laughs) To read it is an event, both because of what happens in it and because it's long and because it is... I think pretty good for what it is. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so we do have some questions from listeners. Um, Nancy's is how infuriating is it that Boris got to go out a hero? So, Bria, <laughs> do you want to add anything else? I'm about looking that? into the camera like we're on the office right now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Soft Vong La, which is a great name, and every time I see your Twitter name, I become a little bit happier. I just want you to know that. Um, they ask, does does it get easier? It's been a year since I read it, and I'm still not okay. No. I mean, it, like, I, I think this one definitely stays with you, and, like, it gets easier in that 
there are a lot of other Star Wars books and there are a lot of other Star Wars things to think about and it will not be the foremost thing in your brain all the time. But I still, you know, I so vividly remember when I read it first. Obviously, I'm still discovering new things about it and new things about why I like it and how it makes me feel. And that's why, like, tie-in novels have a bad rap. But the fact that we can have this conversation and be like, this meant so much for me for this reason is, like, one of the things I love about tie-in novels. And that, that does not go away and this ended up to be a weirdly cheesy answer to your question and i'm sorry about that (laughs) but uh the answer is no we're sad all the time yeah yes that no i mean (laughs) does it get easier well 15 no 13 years yeah it was 13 years since i first read it help i'm old rocky you're the youngest (laughs) of the three of us come on yes and no (laughs) (laughs) I'm too young to be this old. <laughs> I still am. But still, it's... Does it get easier? I don't know, because I was spoiled for it the first time. But I definitely notice different things or new things emotionally every time I've read it. Yeah, I would say... So, the I don't pain, know. You're not as sad about it the further away you get from reading the book. But the minute you pick it back up and like the minute they go to to Merker or whatever the heck you pronounce all those consonants in a row yeah yeah you're done (laughs) speaking of which do we have care packages (laughs) I was just thinking I need this podcast to be actually sponsored by Dagoba Chocolate so that I can have some but I haven't actually found any in my local grocery stores so I got like the Wegmans brand chocolate instead and that was pretty helpful but I did not end up putting together a full care package, no. What, delicious chocolate and, like, plushy boxen? I don't want to put... No, yes. no. <laughs> no. Yes! I'm Googling this right I mean, now. I know someone has made plush salamiri, but... Hold on, I'm Googling that. let's see it doesn't immediately come up there's a couple toys like figures for the tabletop game on DeviantArt but I don't immediately see a a plushie but yes I think uh, definitely after this like like my actual advice for this is read something happy after this like whether it's another Star Wars book or like I'm reading Lando's Luck right now which is one of the middle grade books and it's like relatively upbeat and so that's a good choice. Um, you know, read something happy because this one's Maybe rough. that's why I accidentally only got like four chapters into Lando's Luck. That's why it's still sitting on my nightstand. <laughs> uh, because you were reading Star by well, Star Well, because instead. I think I got it like right after New York Comic Con and then everything got busy and I read a couple chapters and then I was like, wait a minute, I can't read anything else until I go through Star by Star. And I'm telling myself I left it on purpose, yep. even though it's just called it was busy. That was my exact experience with it, too. I read a couple chapters at Comic-Con and then haven't picked it up like since I finished Star by Star, basically. But if you want another Star Wars book, it's the other one that's on my brain right now. Yeah. So, Gritty Kino Eric asks, 
Hey there, Voncast crew. Originally, Jason was slated to die in Star by Star instead of Anakin, but an editorial demand from George Lucas changed those plans. How do you think the NJO would have been different with Anakin at the head or Traitor with Anakin? Thanks for this amazing podcast. Thank you for your question. Um, I don't think we're going to talk too much about Traitor, but we should probably keep this question in mind for our yeah, spoiler so episode. Yeah, so there is one thing. This is definitely ask me next okay, yes. month kind of question. Yes, but there is one thing I want to bring up because uh, the whole editorial demand from George Lucas is one of those things that like there's basically a myth in the fandom that's been going around since, let me check the date on this article, uh, before April 2013 and... The idea is that supposedly George said Anakin has to die because there couldn't be two heroes named Anakin running around in the Star Wars universe at that point. So back in April 2013, Pablo Hidalgo, back when he still had his old Twitter account, uh, actually said, so the note says from George Lucas, quote, change person who is responsible for ultimately saving the day to Jason, not Anakin. And that was listed under the header. Too redundant to movie storylines. Books should be more original. Uh, and that was from, wow, 98. Uh, and it was circled specifically in the outline to mention that Anakin Zolo, uh, that he is the prophesied one. Or that specifically circled in the outline is a mention Anakin Zolo is a prophecy. So it's not, it's not that he said that he had to kill Anakin. It's just that Jason needed to be the one to save the day. So, if I didn't mention that, Brian was going to be hmm. like, Brio, why did you not mention this thing? I have a myth-busted post on and have had it up for five years now. Um, That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. But yeah, I will save that question for next time. So and it's... I just think, ultimately, oh gosh. Everything could have been so much better if Anakin had lived. <laughs> yes. I'm going to think really hard about that traitor with Anakin question because I think that could like make a really neat fanfic, but I have to like write the whole fic in order to answer your question. So I'm going to think about it. (laughs) Save it for us. Should we save it for the traitor episode or for next week or next month? Well, let's talk about it. Uh, Hmm. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Maybe a little bit of both. Because it's a good Yeah, so actually, uh, uh, if you ask this and you're listening to this episode, let us know if you would like us to talk about it in which episode. Because we'll be recording in a couple weeks for the spoiler one. And we'll yeah. talk about it in whichever episode you would like us to. This is how you don't make decisions, yeah. guys. This is a sign of good leadership. I delegate. <laughs> I can't take myself seriously. I'm sorry. Oh, I never take myself seriously. Thanks, Carice. You're welcome. And it's Lady Carice. Gosh. <laughs> I need help. <laughs> so okay, Jedi deaths us. in this in this Jedi deaths in this book. We should actually have done total. So six in the first part of Star uh, by Star, let me right? Check. And six. I kept. I, uh, okay. I also had a one, note about two, three, this. four, yeah. five, six. Yeah, there were six in the first half. Yeah. So sixteen. Excuse me. Twelve total. Which brings us 12 total in Star by Star in this brick. And then which brings us to 18 total in the series. So that's like three quarters of all deaths in the series yeah. so far have happened in this book. I don't math, but it's something like that. Two thirds. <laughs> so it's two thirds. That's yeah, notable. And, 
And I feel like there must have been other de- Jedi besides the ones we've gotten names for, or in the case of two of these, no names for, have died too. So I'm just like, dang. Yes. I was wondering if I had gone through here and went, okay, this is how many people were in the strike team in the first place. This is how many people came out. Here are the parts were more likely to have died. I'm pretty sure there are like unnamed Jedi somewhere in the strike team. I don't that think so. Do not come out. No. Not no? the strike no. team, no. Because there's but 17 I, okay. on the strike team. But and I then, okay. let's see, we have yeah. six six on the strike. Oh, and we're down 12. Well, six on the strike team who yeah. die. Raynor gets taken away. Uh, they left Jason behind. So they lost like half of it? Yeah. Right? Yeah, about half. Yeah. Jeez. Oh boy. So Where's yeah, that that's yeah. <laughs> and then we um This is my fault. I think we did get a little <laughs> off track with Nogri deaths. Um Bria called one Bria killed a Nogri last I- month <laughs> before uh It was a preemptive strike, I'm to. sorry. But yeah. So it's four, it's three total. Yeah, so I right? accidentally s- me yeah, I thought that two alive. of them had been killed earlier in the book. I was wrong. And then only one of them yeah. ends up dying in this book. So. So. Yeah. Three total. Which is less than I thought um, died in these books. Yeah, because it was two. There was a, there were two pairs so far. And yeah. Mewal is still alive. So. Um, Kips and Jerk references, which we've completely lost track of, um, are also, I didn't really see that many in this book. There was, I actually kind of felt bad for Kip because he lost a bunch of the dozen pilots in this book. Again. And. (laughs) What? Again. Yeah. 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 And I think there will be plenty of chances for him to be a jerk in the future, but this book, he actually didn't, like, have that much to do, right? Yeah. Let me tell you how excited I am for the things that are coming in the future. Oh, boy. Yes. Actually, yes. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> so, speaking of that, um, next month, we're going to be changing things up a bit and taking a break halfway through the series. We had a lot of discussion about what we were going to do over the holiday season, about whether we were going to just read the next book or have some kind of uh, special episode. And what we decided was that December's episode will be a spoiler-filled look at the series so far, in which we say all those things we've been trying really hard not to say before. (laughs) If you've already read the series or don't mind spoilers, you can join us for some more context about the road so far, where the series is going next, and the Star Wars Expanded Universe as a whole. So uh, that's our Star by Star episode. Thank you for joining us. I hope you enjoyed, <laughs> question mark, this experience. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, so where uh, where can people find you two on social media? I mean, right now I'm barely on social media because it's NaNoWriMo month. But in theory, you can find me on Twitter at ChaosBria. And then uh, I'm also over some occasionally doing things for Tashi Station and White Hot Room, which is my geek fashion blog. And oh yeah, I do a comics column for StarWars.com. I think that's everything. <laughs> cool. Right. Rocky? 
Well, I am Lady Darth Kytus on Twitter, in which I talk about Star Wars, World of Warcraft, whatever else catches my distractible geek mind. I have written for 1138 in the past, though I claim I'm retired for now. Who knows how long that'll last. <laughs> and I have also appeared on the Of Dice and Droids podcast. Cool. And I can be found at Blog Full of Words on Twitter. I'm trying to stay uh, off of Twitter a little bit more, she says, to for maximum irony for the future where Twitter is plugged directly into my brain. But I am uh, kind of trying to take a mental health break, which is a little bit challenging. But if you really want to follow me on Twitter, you can do it there. Of course, there was Star Wars news today, so I talked about it today anyway. Um, I write for Star Wars Insider, StarWars.com, and Den of Geek. Um, this podcast has been brought to you in part by your support on Patreon. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to the Tashi Station Radio Mega Feed for more episodes. Join us next time for the mid-series spoiler episode. This podcast is distributed as part of the Tashi Station Network. You can read and tweet along with us by using the hashtag Boncast. Thanks for listening.